Okay, we've been doing a series on the appearances of God, and we have gone through the major appearances of God in the Old Testament, Moses on the mount, and we've gone to uh, Isaiah in the temple as he looks up into heaven, and Ezekiel on the shores of the river Kibar, and we looked at that one last week and kind of crazy stuff we saw, angels with wheels and faces of lions and all the rest, uh, things like we've never heard or seen before. We also did Micaiah as we looked at the destruction of King Ahab and God's role in that. Now we come to the book of Revelation. Here we have the greatest revelation that there is. We turn to Revelation chapter 1. So we start to think about it. <clears throat> now, this is the culmination of information that God has given to us. Revelation is a word, this book is called Revelation, but it is, as you see in chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. All right, and so uh, Jesus Christ is revealing the future. And this is the greatest appearance of God that we have in the Bible. There's nothing like it. Uh, we will see some things that are interesting, that are uh, reminders of what we have seen. But then we're going to go outside of that and see some things like we've never seen before. And uh, there's a couple things that I want you to take note of. You look at verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace be unto you from him which is and which was and which is to come from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And right away when you get to the book of Revelation you see and you start to see numbers. There's numbers here, numbers there. We just had two instances of the number seven. We're going to run into some more numbers as we go along. And uh, John is writing in a, in a way that will sometimes make you scratch your head. And he's going to use numbers an awful lot to communicate ideas. <coughs> and <coughs> I think the numbers that we run across are important numbers. And they're part of the revelation because... They're communicating an idea to us. And John uses them here because he's in the same boat as everybody else. All right. Remember we saw Ezekiel and what does he say? Well, I saw something and it looked kind of like this. And it had the appearance of that. And because it can't, there's nothing you can't look at God and say, oh yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> there's nothing to compare with it. And so language fails. And here language will be failing. But uh, I think John's revelation here that he writes is the greatest one of all time. It's the culmination of the human experience as to do with God, all right? God and the human experience. We're going to see these numbers popping up all over the place. And uh, that's a part of understanding uh, what we read. And uh, so we're going to go over to chapter 4 where the revelation of God begins. Uh, it's a many-faceted book. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, God communicating to Jesus Christ, and he's got seven stars in his hand. There's the number again, right? Seven stars. And, then he, and we wouldn't know what that was, except for he says, well, the seven stars are seven churches, Oh, okay. So we look at the seven churches that are listed there, and we say, well, that's what that is. Well, yeah, maybe it is, and maybe it's not. <laughs> the voice of prophecy has to do its best to communicate ideas that uh, we've never conceived of before. And this book stands as the ultimate book in the revelation of the future. 
more than any other book, this book reveals what the future has for us. Um, I wouldn't say it was simple. Neither would I say it was impossible. Okay? We can learn from it and we can pick things out as we go along. And so chapter 4, if we're going to go like we have, all right? Isaiah says, all of a sudden I looked and I, I was looking up into heaven. Ezekiel, remember, standing by the river and he looks up and there he sees God, sees the throne. And they all see the throne of God without trying to uh, describe it really. They said, well, I saw God on his throne. We're going to see the same thing here. So we're going to run across things that we've seen before. And, and it's the same place we're looking at. All right. And it's going to become important tonight that uh, there are dimensions of existence. All right. And those dimensions of existence, as far as we know, that there are four. We have the time, space, a place called Earth, or this universe that we live in. Uh, we have uh, the throne of God. Right, they're going to look into that dimension tonight. That's where they've been looking before. And we have what we call, uh, the Bible calls the air. It's another dimension of existence that we've talked about here where uh, they're right here next to us, moving back and forth in and out of our dimension. Jesus used it. Satan uses it all the time. They say, uh, God says to Satan, where you been? I've been moving up and down, going up and down the earth. Well, how does he do it? He moves through this other dimension. All right. And then there's hell as another uh, dimension of existence. Those are the four dimensions that we know about. And it's interesting tonight, all right? Now, we've been seeing this all the time. We've been seeing all of a sudden these guys say, well, I saw heaven. How'd you do that? John's going to help us understand it. Here we go, chapter 4 of Revelation, chapter 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So immediately, the first thing, I'm going to show you the future. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And he's the first one to say that. All right, this is the first guy who has a vision of God who tells us right off, I was in the Spirit. Or in other words, it wasn't my physical body. All right, that went up to heaven. He said, God took my spirit and said, come on up, I want to show you this. Zoom, my spirit was up there. It wasn't my body. He's the first one to tell us that. All right, so verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. That's where each vision has taken us, taken us to heaven. He's looking, and God is on his throne. So he's having that same vision. Verse 3, And he that sat was to look upon as a jasper and a sardine stone. There was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. All right. And so there we go the same vision as Ezekiel. All right. Now Ezekiel, he's the one. So I looked up and I saw emerald color or a green color. I saw a color of green and I saw a rainbow. And Ezekiel said he saw the bow, rainbow over the throne of God. And here he's seeing what Ezekiel sees. And uh, uh, he's, he's seeing that color looking up over the throne of God. He sees what Ezekiel sees. Verse 4. Around about the throne were four and twenty seats. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the seat throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. All right, now we're lost, right? We're, we're lost. We don't know what that was all about, all right? But for the first time of any vision, 
We've looked into heaven through four or five other people's eyes, and we have never seen this before. For the first time, we look at the throne, and there are humans in the vision. All right? Never seen that before. All you've seen angels, we've seen seraphims. Isaiah looks to the seraphims over the throne. Uh, <clears throat> Ezekiel looks at the cherubims, the great wheels under the throne. And we always are seeing those. Uh, Micaiah, who did the, the vision that he told Ahab, he saw spirits. He says, I saw angels and, and I saw spirits moving up and down by the throne. Now for the first time ever, we see humans in heaven. All right? We haven't seen that before. Where have they been? How come nobody saw humans before? Because they weren't there before. That's simple enough, okay? <laughs> Why not? Because the resurrection of Jesus takes place after all the visions in the Old Testament. We have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and now John is looking into heaven after the resurrection. What does that mean? All right. Well, there's a place that we call the place of the dead, or in Sheol, the place of the dead, and there was a great gulf in there, and there was people on both sides. On one side, there were people who believed in God, and then on the other side, people who rejected God, and Jesus describes it better than anybody ever did, and he says there's a great gulf, there's a fixed gulf, and they could look over, but they couldn't pass over. They were restricted in there. And so if you ended up in this side, and he tells us the story of a rich man who died and went to the rejected side, Sheol, or call it hell, all right? And then there were uh, his, the poor man outside of his gate, Lazarus, who was in the good side, and here he calls it the bosom of Abraham, or a place you go because of faith. You have faith in God. And, and over here, the rich man says, have Lazarus dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. Not a good place, all right? We just do that. And he said, no, we can't do that. And he said, well, then send somebody back to earth and tell my brothers not to come here. Make sure they don't come here. And uh, uh, Abraham says, we already told them. <laughs> the Bible, what he says, he's referring to the Bible. He says, we already told them. We told them, starting with Moses and all the prophets, all the way up through, they've been told over and 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 over again. Not to get in that situation, to trust God. And so, at the resurrection of Christ, uh, the Bible says he descended into hell. And what we believe is that he took the believers here, people who said they believed. We also said that he preached to the souls in hell. It was basically, he told them, you've been righteously judged you're going to stay here. They're going to stay here until uh, the final day. Revelation will tell you there's going to be a day of judgment when they are cast into the lake of fire. All right, so this side will be emptied and go into the lake of fire. But these people, uh, Jesus said, all right, let's go up. I'll take you out of here. And he takes them out and he takes them to the dimension which is the throne of God or heaven. Until then, humans weren't there. And so after the resurrection of Christ, when he pays for every sin, all right, before then the sins 
were only on a charge account. Okay, he had a charge account. That is, you took the blood of a lamb, you sacrifice it, and God said, I'll accept that until full payment can be made. Full payment was the blood of Christ. And so these people are taken out of there, they go up to the throne of God. In heaven we have in, in Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up the everlasting doors that the King of glory may come in. Who's the King of glory? He's the Lord, strong and mighty, mighty in battle. Now open the gate, we're coming in. And they all go in, all right? And so uh, this place after the resurrection of Christ is emptied and now in heaven there are people who are finally allowed to be there because their sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ, which was always necessary. All right, and now it's happened. So for the first time, as we're looking into heaven, we see humans there. And we haven't seen that before because they hadn't been there before. So we have the Bible tying together, making perfect sense as it does. All right, now verse 4. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So what do we got? A number. Number 24. All right. So what does that mean? Who are they? Well, where can you find the number 24 in the Bible? Scratch your head and think hard. You can't. <laughs> but you can find 12 plus 12. Which is 24, you mathematicians, you. All right. So, how does that happen? Well, <coughs> sitting in heaven, as John looks into heaven, now he sees humans also gather on the throne. And he sees uh, 12 thrones, no, 24 thrones. And we're trying to figure out who are these 24 people. We have two 12s in the Bible that are significant. The first 12 are the sons of Jacob. All right? Or the sons of Israel. The 12 tribes. All right? We've got 12 tribes of Israel. All right? Now, do you think it's an accident that Jesus picked how many disciples? 12. All right? So we've got 12 tribes and we've got 12 disciples. Alright. So, a lot of people think, well that's who's on the throne. You got 12 disciples of Christ and then you got 12 uh, sons of Jacob who were the head of the tribes. They could be right, but when you read the Bible you kind of scratch your head about that because Judas was one of the 12. I don't think he's on one of those thrones, okay? So they replaced him with a guy called Matthias, and then nobody ever heard of him ever again. So was he one of the 12 there? Well, everybody says, well, it had to be Paul. That makes more sense, all right? But who says it's got to be the 12 disciples? Maybe the number is more significant uh, than the names of the people. And I think that's the point of it. There's 24 people there representing the 12 tribe was the old covenant. Right? We had the old agreement with God. And then we got the 12 disciples as the new covenant with God. All right? I think probably the meaning of the 24 is that we are treated equally from the old covenant and the new covenant represented as the throne. So that if you say, well, I was at a disadvantage, I was part of that old covenant. He says, no, you weren't. <laughs> We're all treated the same up here. 
right? both represented both sides of the covenant. So you say, well, I was at a disadvantage. Uh, you got to know that Christ died and I didn't. Oh, you had every opportunity to learn, just the same as everybody else. And so I think it's important to see that these two sides of the Bible, a lot of people like to divide that up. Uh, God doesn't. He puts them all together. All right? And so when you get to heaven, you're going to talk to Moses like he's your buddy. Hey, how you been? Nice to see you. What a pleasure to meet Moses. All right? What a pleasure to meet Elijah. What a pleasure to meet the woman at the well. You're going to meet these people, and God's going to say, you know, you're, in my eyes, you're always equal. And now at the throne, you're all represented there. And so I think the humans that he sees, are they the 12 disciples and the 12 uh, leaders of the tribe? Yeah, maybe. But if you know some of the leaders of the tribe, they're the ones that sold Joseph into slavery. Jeepers, they weren't so hot. They weren't so hot at all. And uh, some of them lied and tried to get out of it until Joseph caught them. You know, they've been living a lie for their whole lives until Joseph finally stood up and said, I'm your brother. And <gasps> We're sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're sorry, all right. And so is it those men sitting there Maybe, I don't know, nobody knows for sure. I think it's clear that there's two 12s make the 24, and the 24 represents the entire human population before Christ and after Christ as equal in the eyes of God, okay? Enough said about that. Where was I? Verse 5, here's where it gets crazy. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I only got that number seven again. And he says there are seven spirits of God. Here all the time, I thought there was only one. We sing, right? Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now he says, I see seven spirits, which are the seven spirits of God. And they're saying, whoa, what is he looking at? What does he see? Now, we're going to come back to that because I think that's extremely fascinating. And on our first glance, when we read that, we say that doesn't agree with anything I ever saw or heard before, that there are seven spirits of God. I never heard that before. Well, maybe you did. Well, let's go on and then we'll come back to that. Verse 6. Before the throne, there was like a sea of glass unto crystal. In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. First beast was like a lion, second beast like a calf, third beast had a face as a man, fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. All right, so the first time he sees God, we see the rainbow, that's what Ezekiel saw. Now we're looking at the angels there, and these are the ones that Isaiah saw. They got six wings, and they're full of eyes within, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God. God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So they're still there. These same creatures are still over the throne. The ones that Isaiah saw, now John sees them, same creatures. Verse 9, And when those beasts give glory and honor, thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, cast their crowns before the thrones, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All right, so every creature now, every angel, every human, everything in heaven is saying uh, we exist 
for the pleasure of God. You, you exist for the pleasure of God. That's why you are here. It's why you have existence. You have being. Right? And you're here because God wanted to derive pleasure from you. Now, how are you doing on that? <laughs> you know, you're making God happy? Well, uh, we gotta, we got to work on that. No, we got to work on that. And we'll learn a little more as we go on. But that's certainly the purpose of our existence. So what they're saying in heaven, they're worshiping God. They're saying, we want to give you pleasure. We were created to do that. And we do that by worship. By bowing down before God. And we get this beautiful picture here. It says, uh, they cast their crowns before the throne. Now we go up to verse 6. And before the throne, there's a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes. All right? And so the throne of God here, we're told, is surrounded by what he calls a sea of glass, which makes it reflective. All right, it's reflective. Now, we have uh, something, and we're going to go back and look at this. Exodus chapter 38. Exodus. Chapter 38. I was taught a long time ago by a very intelligent person that if you want to study the Bible, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Makes sense, right? So if you're going to study the Bible and you want to get to the bottom of something, the best place to look is in the Bible to do that. All right. Now, we've just been told there's a sea of glass before the throne. Now we go over here, Exodus 38. And what's happening here? in Exodus 37 and 38, as they are building the old tabernacle. Moses is up on the mountain, and God's telling him, all right, here's what I want you to do. You're going to make uh, tent posts, and you're going to make a covering with the hide, and you're going to put in the, the uh, uh, thing, an altar, and there's going to be a laver which is a big bowl, basically, a great big bowl. And you're going to make a laver so that when you come to me, first thing you're going to do is wash and get clean. And then the next thing past the laver is where you make a sacrifice. So you don't come dirty to God. You get clean. You wash in the laver. And here they're going to show you what is the laver is made of. Uh, it's 38, Exodus 38, verse 8. He made the labor of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so when they're ready to make this, they say, uh, you ladies that uh, came out of Egypt, you will donate your looking glasses. Now, it's not a mirror like you think. All right, it's a piece of polished brass, highly polished brass, that you can see yourself in as a reflection. And so these people didn't have mirrors like we have, but they used these highly polished brass, finest brass they could find, highly polished. Now they donate that, and they're going to make the labor out of it. So it's got a mirror finish in it. All right. It's full of water with a mirror finish made of this highly polished brass. Not just any brass, okay? And so we turn over to Revelation. What do we see? A sea 
of glass, highly reflective glass around the throne of God, all right? And so when the humans are there, time for them to worship, they take their throne, their, their crown, and they throw it towards the throne. So what do you see? Two crowns, one in the reflection and one flying through the air, and there's two crowns, now it's doubled at the throne. And so uh, it's a way of increasing worship as they gather around the throne because they have this sea of glass is a reflective thing and they can double their worship by casting their crowns. That's why you gotta earn a crown, my friend. The Bible says there's certain types of crowns that you can earn. And one of the most precious crowns is one you get for being faithful. And there's a lot of people who will go to heaven and not have any crowns because they haven't been faithful. They haven't been trustworthy. God can't trust them. <laughs> you know what it means. Can I trust you to do something? If I can trust you to do it, I can put my confidence that you will do it. All right. God says you do that, and I give you a crown. All right. Now, when you get a crown, you say, well, I got this crown. It's all I got. It's all right. Throw it, and you'll have two. Throw it, and you'll have twice that much. All right? Now, there's lots of crowns the Bible talks about, and you can win lots of them. I want to get every one I can lay my hands on. Because I, want, I don't want to throw one and have two. I want to throw 10 and have 20. If I can get 50, I'll throw them all. All right? And double it and double it again. And, uh, well, anyway, I get carried away here. Uh, so, we see in the Old Testament, way back, right in the beginning, they're making this glass thing, and it represents a reflection as you look into the water. And now there's a sea of glass on the throne that represents a reflection around the throne of God. And so we're told back in Exodus that the idea is a reflection at the throne, all right? And now we see it happening in Revelation. Now, the Old Testament clearly ties together right to the New Testament, right to the reality and so when he's building that old tabernacle and he put the Ark of the Covenant in it, and the Ark of the Covenant's got what? Two angels on the top touching their wings. That's just what it is in heaven, right? The, where God sat on the throne, which was the seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the form of light. All right? And these two golden angels were stretched out over the throne. Just like when we see the real throne, what is it? Got angels over the top, all right? And so the, these were pictures that God sent to us early. It's like he sent us these photographs. Here, that's what it's going to be like. See that, those angels, they really are real ones up there. Right, now, let's look at something I think is absolutely fascinating. We'll go back to what we skipped. Verse 5 of Revelation 4. Out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, there's the number seven. We have number seven again. There's seven lamps. And he says we're going to identify them as the seven spirits of God. And so we got a number seven. We've had seven churches. We've had the seven spirits of God. And we're going to assign the number seven to be the perfect number. All right? Perfect number. How many days in a week? Oh, that's an accident, right? 
No, it's not an accident. There are seven days in a week, and God created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh day. Seventh day is extra special, all right? And so there's seven that finishes, makes a week perfect. It's all God's plan to use certain numbers, and the number seven represents a perfect number. Now we come and we're told that there are seven spirits of God. He said, we never heard that before, never heard anything like it before. Well, maybe we did. Exodus 37. All right, we were in 38. Now we're going to Exodus 37. The beginning of an idea that's described to us way back here when they're first making the temple. And God says, here's how I want you to make the furniture. And it's a picture of heaven. Now there's, here is the picture of heaven that he has here. We're in Exodus number 37. And we're going to start reading at verse number 17. And he made the candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work which he made the candlestick, his shaft, his branch, his bowls, his knops, his flowers were of the same. So here is a solid gold piece of work formed as one big piece of gold. Verse 18, the six branches going out on the sides thereof, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side thereof, three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made after the fashion of almonds in one branch, a knop and a flower. Or in other words, now we have these candlesticks and there's a place uh, that looks like a blossom, flower blossoms, actually an almond blossom, all right? And they make it out of gold. And these, there's these bowls, verse 20, and the candlestick are four bowls make like almonds and his knops and his flowers and a knop under two branches of the same and knop under two branches of the same, knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches going out of it. And their knops and their branches were of the same. All was one beaten work of gold. And he made his seven lamps and his snuffers and snuff dishes of pure gold. So he's making to go in the tabernacle uh, stand. And it's got one, two, three pieces on each side. All right, so there's a golden candlestick, uh, and the, the edges here are flowers of pure gold, made of pure gold. All right, and so these uh, represent one, two, three, four, five, six, seven lights. And they take it. And they put it when you're going into the holy place. And the holy of holies is the Ark of the Covenant. But when you first come in, there's a holy place where only the priest can go. And there's an altar of incense in front of you. And on your left, there are uh, a table with 12 loaves of bread on it. How many? Oh, 12? Oh. What do you think that means? I've got time now. Let's keep going. Then over on this side, you got a golden candlestand. It runs with oil. All right? And so every day they fill it so the light never goes out. And there's a time when it was fed by a little boy. Because the priests were out wandering around doing what they shouldn't. A little boy named who? Samuel. <coughs> was in there feeding the lamps because everybody else didn't think it was worth it. All right, now we got the 12 or the, the seven lights that are burning continuously in that. And we're told that the seven lights represent the seven spirits of God. Now, let's think now about 
what that could mean because we still say there's only one God and there's only one Spirit and one Son and one Father. So how come it says here there are seven spirits of God? Well, let's take a look and see a few things. All right, and so we have light. Candlestick represents light. We have fire. Right? Candlestick represents fire. Okay. And let's take a look and see what some of these stand for. All right. John 16. John 16. Now we're going to use the Bible as a commentary on the Bible or its own best explanation come from the Bible. We're going to say that these seven lamps, these seven spirits of God are going to be the perfect work of the Spirit. We've got God doing His perfect work. The Holy Spirit has certain jobs. And there is light shining into the world. All right. And Jesus said what? I will pour out my spirit on who? All flesh. And some people think, well, the Holy Spirit's just got us few Christians and he's with us and the rest of the place is abandoned. You never get it to figure it out till you miss realize that's not what it is. God said, I'm going to pour the Spirit out on all flesh. That means every human out there, everyone, if he hates God, if he doesn't want anything to do with God, the Spirit has still been poured out with the attempt, with the possibility of these things. All right? Uh, first one is light. John 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that will he speak. He will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. If you're going to understand the Bible, that's how you're going to understand it. I can explain it for years. I can sit here for the <laughs> rest of my life, explain, 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 until the Holy Spirit puts it in your mind, you don't get it. I can't make you comprehend it. But it's His job to clear these things in your mind. And so when I'm preaching, I'm not saying, hey, God, how did I do? I say, please, make them understand, is what I'm saying all the time. Help them to grasp what I say so they can understand it. All right? And so light is a, a truth that the Spirit is pushing into you. He's pushing truth into you. And that's one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit. All right, now another job is fire. All right. He's part of it is fire. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. You got John the Baptist speaking. All right. Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So part of the Holy Ghost's work is to do with fire. Okay, why? Verse 12, whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The fire is a cleansing work of the Spirit. It's a cleansing work. He's going to burn up chaff or things that aren't any value, aren't any good, things that are wrong. He's going to burn them out of you. Got to get rid of them. 
You're going to burn them out of you. So you let the Holy Spirit in, and John the Baptist says, get ready. You're going to burn the junk out of you. You're going to get rid of it out of you, clean you up with fire. All right, so that's another part as we see the, the lamp, see light, see fire. Let's see what else we have. All right, <clears throat> Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. In verse 3. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. All right, so there is an all-seeing God because of the light that he brings. He sees everything. He says, I see everything in every place. I look at it all, and we call that omniscience, or that is, he knows everything, he sees everything because of the light that he brings into the human situation. He sees everything. All right, so that's a part of the work of the Spirit. Now, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, because he can see everything, Second Chronicles 16. 2 Chronicles 16, very famous verse here. Second Chronicles 16, verse number 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Here and thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Or, he's talking to King Asa, all right? But he says, God's eyes are searching, all right? So we have God as the seeing, all-seeing eye, so he can see everything. But he's not just looking at it and saying, I'm just observing here. I mean, like the UN, I observe. That's not what he is. He is searching. So in his ability to see everything that he needs to see, everything, he also is searching for people, someone that he can show himself strong, or he wants to prove to show himself strong on behalf of people. Right? So we have the work of the Spirit, all right? Light, taking truth helping us to understand it. Fire, cleansing us, burning out what's not, shouldn't be there. All seeing, he knows everything about you. There's nothing that you can hide, no thought that you have that he doesn't completely understand. But he is searching, more than that, he's searching for a way to bring himself into your life. So you think, well, well, I let God in. He's desperately looking for people that he can come into their life and use them in a powerful way to show himself strong. All right, let's we'll go on to another one. Luke chapter 1. We could use a lot of different scriptures, but I like this one. Luke chapter 1. Mary was sitting at home, and uh, this angel knocked on the door, came in, hi, I'm here to talk to you. <laughs> and she scratched her head and said, I wonder who he is. <clears throat> and then he said, you found favor with God, and you're going to have a child. And Mary says, well, I'm not even married. How am I going to have a child? And we're in Luke 1, 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. All right, so the Holy Ghost is going to shadow, come over her, and he is going to be, he's going to give life. And the Holy Spirit 
is a life-giving entity. He comes to you. And he, when we say, I believe in Jesus, will you forgive me? He says, yes, I will. And then he puts life inside of you, a new life. Not the one you had, just cleaned up a little. He puts a new life inside of you. The Holy Spirit has the ability to bring life. He breathed over Mary, and what happened? She had a baby. She had life come through her from the Holy Spirit hovering over her. Now we got a couple more things that the Holy Spirit does. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so we have the fruit of the Spirit. There's another work that the Spirit does, and that is character development. He's going to change your character, make you kind, make you patient, make you loving, make you hopeful. All right? Everybody working on that? We all got to work on that list, don't we? Meekness, temperance, patience, all, how are you coming with all those things? The Spirit, when we allow Him to come into our hearts, when we take the truth and understand it, we allow the cleansing fire to come, He's going to come in, He's going to change your character, make you a lot nicer person than you used to be. All right? Boy, that's a good thing, isn't it? I'm glad that the Holy Spirit can come in and say, I'm going to form and mold your character and make you a whole lot nicer than you ever were before. You're going to show the way I am. I'm going to come into you, breathe this life into you, and it's actually going to mold your character and change you into something different. Now, one more. We have uh, 1 Corinthians, back a few pages. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 12. And we get one more on the list. We're talking about the Spirit. We call it the gifts. For want of a better word. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. So uh, he says, God the Spirit is going to come into your life and he's going to uh, do something. And here's what he's going to do. Verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, and to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, diverse kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and here it is. But all these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man and severally as he will. And so he's going to give us special abilities. We're going to use these abilities for God. And he makes a list of a whole series of abilities there that he does and he gives you talent that you didn't have before. He gives you something that you can use. So, he says, I saw, what? The lights. He said, I saw these seven lights when I looked up into heaven, which are the seven spirits of God. So that poured out over human flesh, all human flesh, is this 
Spirit of God who in the form of fire and light comes to us to do what? To help you to understand truth, to clean up your life. He sees everything about you. There's nothing he doesn't know about you, but he is searching in you, looking for an opportunity so that he can use you. He's going to give you life, and he's going to develop your character, and then he'll give you something extraordinary, an ability that you never had before. He's going to create in you that special thing. He said, that's what I saw. I look up in the heaven, and what's going on? When I see the throne of God, I see something that the others didn't see. But it was always a picture. What? The lamp. The golden lamp, seven stick, candlestick, that was always burning there. As the Holy Spirit had these abilities to do these things, and then he said, I'm, I'm going to send the Spirit, and he's going to come over you and fill you up and do these things for you. So we have a very friendly look into heaven, don't we? Wow. We've got a spirit that wants to do all of these things. Now let's go back to Revelations. And we, for the first time, we get an explanation of who's on the throne. We always just said, I saw God on the throne, and then we all stopped. Chapter 5, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written therein in the backside, sealed with seven seals. Saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals? And no man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said to me, weep not, behold a lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Finally, we look and see who's on the throne. Finally. And he says, who's, who can open this book? He says, I'm, I don't know. Nobody can open a book. And the guy says, don't cry. There's, there's a guy up here that can open that book. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. How did he get to be that? Because he went in and took the powers of darkness by the throat and choked them to death. And it says, the Bible says, he hung up on a fence for everybody to see. And in his immense power, he drove them across the face of the universe and took control of the whole heavens and all of hell, every other place. And God says, sit in my right hand and reign until I make all your enemies your, your footstool. And that was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he said, when I looked, I saw a lamb, a slain lamb on the throne. And so we have these two beautiful pictures. Finally, somebody tells us what's on the throne. And when they said to me, we got a new window, we got to put names on it. And I looked around at all these names. I said, that ain't what I want. I want that. The Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. That's what we got on our window now. About time it was. All right. The Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. That's finally what he saw on the throne. Who is what? Jesus Christ. Slain. Suffering victorious all in one. She says, I saw the lion and the lamb sitting on the throne. So we've gone a lot farther than we've ever gone before. One look into heaven and John's telling us about the work of the Spirit sweeping over the world. 
and he's telling us, and I finally saw who there really was, and here's what I saw, a lamb that died, and a lion, and that's who's on the throne. Well, I'm ready for more of that. Next week, we go on. All right, now we can't do the whole book. As we're doing appearances of God, we're going to peek ahead <laughs> next week and get another good look into heaven. And that's going to be fun. All right, next week. Thank you. Thank you.